This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slate. It's great to be saving money on your power bill, using technology wisely, and living a more sustainable life. I'm Tim Eccles. I'm the host of Energy Matters. I'm the vice chair of the Georgia Public Service Commission. My co-host, as always, from Decatur, Georgia, Casey Boyce. Casey, how's it going? Hey, good, Tim. Good morning to you and good morning to everyone out there that's listening. Hey, a lot happening with energy, and we've predicted, Casey, that there's going to be even more talk and money spent on energy and the environment and climate moving forward. And we've got today a special guest uh, that I'm really looking forward to having a conversation with. Casey, why don't you introduce Benji? Yeah, so our uh, guest this morning is Benji Backer, who is the founder and president of the American Conservation Coalition. Benji, welcome to Energy Matters. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, hey Benji, we don't get a lot of guys from out west on our show, and you you went to uh, University of Washington, is that right? That's right. I graduated from the University of Washington in June of 2020. I was going to say this year, but it's not this year anymore. So June of 2020, and uh, I grew up in Wisconsin uh, near Green Bay, uh, but moved out to the Seattle area to be closer to the mountains, which I love dearly. Yeah, so how did you wind up picking that school? Uh, I mean, there's a lot on the West Coast, but how did you wind up going there? Well, it sounds like a joke, but I actually chose the University of Washington based on uh, the mountains. I wanted to go to a place where I could go to a good business school, uh, but also be close to hiking and skiing because uh, the environment is my biggest passion. And Wisconsin had a lot of beauty with its lakes and forests, but I wanted to take it to the next level. And that's, that's why I moved out here. Uh, and it's actually why I chose the University of Washington. Benji, your your journey sounds a lot like mine. I did not graduate uh, last year, but uh, when I chose my undergrad, <laughs> uh, I, I went to Colorado College, which is out in Colorado Springs, and it was it was my the same kind of thing. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah. So it was like sitting sitting out and like eating on the college visit and being right there under Pikes Peak and being like, man, this is this is awesome. Being close to all that recreation is great. So I, I that totally is an understand epic that. Campus. Yes, absolutely. Very cool, Benji. Let me ask you. Uh, before you before you went to the West Coast, were you very much interested in conservation and energy and environment, or did you were you awakened, so to speak, uh, when you were in Seattle? So I grew up in a family that was uh, they were all Nature Conservancy members, Audubon members, and every summer we would take a family trip to someplace beautiful. Sometimes it was the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and just a road trip. Uh, sometimes it was a national park. And I just grew up loving the environment from pretty much the day that I was able to kind of grasp how special it was. When you're out in nature, you kind of feel this special connection that is unexplainable. And it had been something that I was thankfully exposed to at a very young age. So throughout elementary school, middle school, high school, I took environmental classes. I would do all my projects on climate change or the environment. Uh, but I was also a political activist as well on the right of center side. And I wasn't able to marry my two passions for politics and the environment until college and until I was inspired by kind of the need for it once I got to uh, Seattle. But I had always loved the environment as my number one passion. I got into hiking and skiing and other outdoor activities uh, as a young boy and really moved out to Seattle because of that. And then obviously Seattle and, and kind of the mountains out here have taken it to the next level. You know, Benji, uh, you know, I'm a conservative. I have seven children. I created Teen Pack, the homeschooling organization that works in 50 states, uh, including, you know, where you grew up and where you went to college. Um, I grew up hunting and fishing, you know, in high school, you know, as student council president, I ran a recycling program. I think there is this myth out there that somehow if you're conservative that you can't care about the environment or you can't care about your world. I mean, as an evangelical, you know, I feel like I have a, you know, a biblical responsibility to care for the things around me. I mean, is that 
is that similar to your background or not necessarily? It is. And in all honesty, that sort of mantra that conservatives don't care about the environment and liberals do, and there's just one side that cares and the other doesn't, is just totally wrong. Conservatives are the ones who you know, have grown up in rural areas. And if you look at an electoral map, if you look at the red and blue counties or congressional districts, the red the red ones, the Republican ones, are oftentimes in the most beautiful natural areas of this country. And that's not to say that the left doesn't care about the environment. It's to say that both sides do care about the environment, but the right actually has a special connection to it. Uh, to your point, a lot of uh, conservatives have a heritage of hunting or fishing in their family or hiking or ranching. And when you have that special special connection to nature, you want to protect it, you want to conserve it, but you also know that it's difficult. Like as a farmer, you know that it's not easy to protect the land. If you if you are a, a hunter or fisherman, you know that it's not easy to conserve species. And so there's a little bit more, um, it, it's a little bit more difficult to explain your environmental values when you are uh, of a conservative belief sometimes. And I think what it comes down to is that Americans who care about the environment, like you just uh, outlined, have who ca- they all have a connection to nature in their own way, and they have a story behind it. Conservatives are not adverse to that. They are they are just as likely, or if not even more likely, to have those stories and those connections. And everyone listening to this has a story and a connection. Conservatives do too. You know, so so Benji, I, I grew up in Michigan, um, and despite that. Uh, I did not hunt until I was like in my late 30s, went hunting a couple of uh, times for the first time a few years back and really enjoyed it. Just being out in nature and really just kind of just being quiet. Right. You've you've got to obviously when you're hunting. Um, And I was sharing this story with a friend of mine. He said, yeah, that's why I hunt. It's not really to, you know, kill a deer or whatever. It's just to be out in nature for a while. And, you know, we're coming to uh, to folks mostly across Georgia. But of course, we've got listeners around the country. And and I think what you're saying and, and Tim, what you're saying, too, is, you know, for any parents out there that have kids and that that want them to you know care about nature and care about the environment it's just about getting out there and there's plenty you know whether you're in the Atlanta metro area or whether you're in one of the rural areas in Georgia there's some beautiful spots in Georgia you know get out to the mountains get out to the coast get out to the plains um, you know, th- there's some really great places to be and that exposure as a kid really you know it sounds like for you at least Benji started you on this journey. Well, yeah, that's exactly right. And those exposures to nature are what craft your your passion for it. And unfortunately, a lot of the people who have that passion for environmental environmentalism or just the environment in general feel like they're left behind because the environmental conversations oftentimes aren't about that connection to nature or how to protect those wild spaces. It's about the politics around it, and it's about partisanship, and it's about divisiveness, and it's actually not about protecting the environment. And that's where this dichotomy of like conservatives don't care about the environment and liberals do care about the environment came from is that all the solutions have been for the most part left of center and if you're a conservative who cares about the environment and the environmental movement doesn't represent your values it's harder to come out and say you want to protect the environment without saying that you support those policies that don't fit within your values. So I think that that's, you know, that deep connection to nature is what we need to return to. That exposure to nature is what we need to return to. We need to take the politics and the divisiveness and the polarization of environmentalism out and and bring it back to what we're talking about, which is nature itself. Yeah, Benji, and I often tell my left-leaning friends, look, don't package your solar ask, your EV request, uh, and, and, and this this uh, amoral, neutral technology with any kind of left-leaning dogma or other issue. Don't don't uh, don't have a pro-abortion rally while you're promoting solar. I mean, I, I, I can't be there. Sorry, I, I can't do that. Uh, so you've you've got to separate these things out, and like you said, take the politics out of it. And my my friends at Georgia Solar, they have successfully done that, and they have made great strides here in our state. Uh, and I don't know where they stand on you know on more liberal issues like abortion or uh, or anything like that, but they have kept it out of 
uh, out of their request when it comes to solar, and as a result, they've been successful. Well, that's a really, really great point you make, that taking other issues and placing it in, in environmental conversations is incredibly harmful. And you see that with like the Sierra Club or the League of Conservation Voters on a national level, where they score candidates based on their votes in the environment and a bunch of other issues. And their environmental organizations who are scoring people on non-environmental issues as a way to endorse or not endorse somebody. And this kind of treading into non-environmental waters by environmental groups or environmental companies or whatever has really hurt them in terms of their appeal to a broader audience. And those who have been able to just stick to the benefits of solar energy, in your example, they are very successful because it creates jobs and it boosts the economy, it reduces emissions. And you're seeing people buy into it when it's not lumped in with an entire agenda that doesn't have to do with protecting the environment. Yeah, when we come back, Casey, I want to talk to Benji about how this American Conservation Coalition got started. How did he how did he found it? Uh, you know, I want to learn more about the organization, what they're recommending for young people. So uh, stick around. We're going to bring Benji Backer back uh, and and talk more with him. I'm at Tim Eccles, the shows it matters radio on Twitter. Casey, I'm at Casey Boyce on Twitter. And Benji, where are you? I'm at Benji Backer on Twitter. Benji Backer on Twitter, and we're going to learn more about the organization that that he is involved with. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Green Power EMC. From the suburbs to rural farming communities, Georgia is enjoying the benefits of a more sustainable future through the power of solar energy. Available from 38 of Georgia's member-owned electric membership cooperatives, or EMCs, these not-for-profit utilities are harnessing the sun's energy to bring clean, renewable, and affordable electricity to 4.2 million Georgians. For more information, visit www.greenpoweremc.com or contact your local EMC. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Welcome back to Energy Matters. I'm Casey Boyce along here with Tim Eccles and our guest today, Benji Backer, the founder and president of the American Conservation Coalition. And Benji, just before the break, we were talking a little bit about kind of all of us and how we came to care about the environment and and sort of the upbringing and the, the idea that we really need to be focused on on the outcome, not the politics. And, you know, I'm curious if you could kind of take us through, you know, you mentioned you just recently graduated from, from college. Congratulations. Um, but how did the American Conservation Coalition come to be? What What is the organization? Um, and, and what was your role in, in founding it? Well, first of all, thank you. It was, uh, it was a big deal for me to graduate because I almost dropped out like a million times because I want to just focus on ACC. So I'm excited to talk about that as well. But it was a, it was a breath of uh, a fresh air and relief for my parents who were very much wanting me to st- stick with it, which we ended up doing. But, um, but yeah, so during my freshman year of college, I was in an entrepreneurship class about environmentalism and sustainability and how to create a sustainable startup and kind of how that's a niche in the marketplace that is continually needing to be filled. And 
as a political activist my entire life who, again, was right of center, I was very frustrated that there wasn't a right of center leaning organization that focused on the environment, that all of them were left of center for the most part, and that there needed to be kind of a voice for the other 50% of the country. This is, a t- this is around the time of the 2016 election, which was obviously incredibly polarized, and you had one party running on an environmental platform and the other running on what was at least portrayed by the public as an anti-environmental platform. So that class, which was talking about like for-profit startups, inspired me to do a non-profit startup to give conservatives and right-of-center voices a voice on environmentalism and really just developed it the rest of college, uh, developed an incredible team. Most of them are still with us today. Uh, All volunteers, especially for the first couple of years, and really just started scaling it uh, with a bunch of scrappy undergraduate students and peers. You know, as as you talk about the organization and its founding, it reminds me that we have a brand new clean tech incubator in Savannah, Georgia. And Savannah, as you may know, if you've if 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 you've been there, was founded February twelfth, seventeen thirty three, Georgia's oldest city. But we've got this clean tech incubator on the river on a brownfield at a place called Sea Point, and it is the perfect place for an East Coast chapter of your organization. And uh, we can get you free rent for a year. Uh, so, man, we need, we need you here, Benji. We need, we need this other voice to be added. And I think, I think, Casey, what we get when we add a conservative voice and all those that are, you know, that are echoing that voice is that we get a greater collaborative effort on these issues. Well, I'd love to take you up on that. And and we we feel like Georgia is a huge priority state for us because it is an incredibly environmentally beautiful state, but it's becoming politically divided and uh, similar to the national level. We feel like this is an issue where the more conservatives at the table and, of course, the more liberals at the table – like you said, the, the bigger um, accomplishments that we can have. And no matter if you're liberal or conservative, you should want conservatives at the table on environmentalism. And there is a huge opportunity for people who are right of center to engage with us, become members of our organization, and really push elected officials to do more, push businesses to do more. But I just quickly want to hit on a point with the Clean Tech Incubator. It's young people and young entrepreneurs that are leading this charge. And it is so exciting to see that the environment and the economy can can go hand in hand. And we've been told that that's not the case for a long time, and it's exa- it's actually the opposite. And you saw an opportunity in Savannah. Those types of opportunities are only going to continue growing, and it's gonna be young people that lead that charge, and it's going to be people who are putting the environmental outcomes before the politics. Yeah, and I think going back, you know, Tim, to what you mentioned, not only is engaging across the political spectrum important for getting people to want to see the outcome. So, you know, as regular listeners know, you know, I I do market research work with talking to utility customers around the country, everyone wants more solar. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are in the country or how you lean politically, everyone wants more solar, right? But it's also getting those different perspectives and different voices in crafting solutions. And, you know, from my perspective, as kind of a pragmatist, like, how do you get this stuff done? You know, the left doesn't have a monopoly on solutions. The right doesn't have a monopoly on solutions either. It's when we come together and share those different perspectives that we get stronger, more durable, more impactful solutions. And Benji, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? That, you know, this idea that protecting the environment is something that costs money really is is something that needs to die a quick death. Like we've got this big opportunity to generate a lot of, of wealth, to generate a lot of jobs. And Tim, you've seen this in, in the work that you've done at the commission and, and kind of how you guys are thinking about clean energy, right? Yeah, that's right. There's so much that can be done. And if you remove the politics from it and you focus on collaborative efforts. I mean, just take, Casey, our work with John Noel, for example. John Noel is a very strong Democrat, but we put him on this show. We have built a friendship with him. We've become an ally together on things that we can agree on. And when you forge that kind of relationship, 
you don't talk bad about each other. You're not ugly to each other. And you don't have all of that yuck that people hate about politics. Instead, we're working towards solutions. I'm rallying conservative troops. He's rallying his liberal troops. And we're getting together where we can and moving forward and kind of celebrating those shared victories. Well, Benji, I was going to ask. So you mentioned, you know, young people and and my perspective from the outside, at least, is that, you know, your organization, the American Conservation Coalition, is primarily focused on kind of engaging and activating young people, as you said, kind of right of center. But maybe maybe you could talk a little bit more. Is that perception accurate? And if so, kind of what are the conversations like as you're talking to, you know, your peers across the country about this? Well, it's a great question, and, and ACC is really largely focused on the fact that young people don't think about this in a political lens. You know, our activist base is primarily young. We don't have, like, an age cap or anything, but primarily our our organization is young people and young activists across the country. Some of them are left-leaning. Most of them happen to be right-leaning, and... The reality is, and the polling shows this, the environment is the number one issue for most young people, and they vote on it. And this election, they especially did, uh, more so than ever before. That is going to dictate the future of politics. That is going to dictate the future of business. And it's going to dictate the future of our globe uh, in in terms of climate change, but also the economy and politics and everything in between. So we have a huge opportunity to engage young people, but for us, it's about empowering people to be a part of the solution. Solutions start at home. Solutions start in your backyard. They aren't this far off phenomenon with polar bears. Like you can write your local elected official. You can write your federal elected official. You can do something in your own community yourself. You can start your own business. There are so many ways to be a part of the solution uh, as an American, as a voter, as a young person. And what we're what we're trying to do is empower people to be a part of the solution and be solutions oriented, to be focused on how can we reduce waste? How can we you know, be a part of reducing emissions? How can we protect wildlife in our, in our open spaces? And if you make people feel like they can be a part of the solution, which is what we try to do at ACC, you can get a lot further, especially with those that might be skeptical of the environmental movement. But in younger generations, we're all in on solutions. You know, um, Benji, we had more Nissan Leafs in Atlanta than any other city in America, including L.A., Seattle, New York City. And it was because of a, a policy that we had. It's been repealed uh, or essentially it was a tax cre- additional uh, tax credit. And those cars were leased for the most part on a 24-month lease from Nissan Motor Acceptance Corporation. And at the end of the two years, because I leased two of these myself, at the end of the two years, people turned them back in. And those cars then set on a Mannheim auction lot and then were sold. And many of them went out west. Many of them went to Finland, Sweden, Canada, and they left. And, you know, despite me telling young people that buying a used Nissan Leaf is a great way for you to start. You can get one for seven, eight, nine thousand $9,000, and you can drive an electric car. And, Casey, I think we were just unsuccessful in helping this next generation see that you don't have to drive a Tesla in order to do this. There, there, there was a price point you could start in, and unfortunately, those cars are gone. They're out of the country. They're out of the state, and we missed that opportunity. Yeah, it is definitely a, a big missed opportunity there, and and there are ways, you know, to your point, that folks can can engage in in very small ways at home. But Tim, this is a good setup for our third segment. I think when we come back, um, we're going to talk to Benji a little bit about a EV road trip that he did that dwarfs anything that I've done certainly. Um, and uh, looking forward to hearing more about that, Benji, when we come back. Well, just quickly to, to wrap up, I, I totally agree that these these solutions have seemed for young people like they're too far away. And so they don't even know that leasing or buying a Nissan Leaf for a low price would be able to help the environment. And I think we have to, again, bring those solutions back to back to the home and, and allow young people to feel like they can be a part of the difference. Yeah, when we come back, we're going to hear about Benji's road trip uh, in an EV and some of the challenges and fun, uh, exciting things that, that happened. Um, 
You're listening to Energy Matters. I'm Tim Eccles on Twitter at Tim Eccles. The show's at Matters Radio. Casey? I'm at Casey Boyce. And Benji? I'm at Benji Backer on Twitter and Instagram and everywhere else. And we'll return with Benji to hear about his fun road trip in just a minute. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Tim Eccles for Marlin Gas Services. As the port continues to grow, more and more trucking companies are using natural gas in their trucks instead of diesel. Marlin Gas Services is helping to usher in this clean opportunity. With their specialized rigs, they create virtual pipelines with all the equipment and expertise to provide reliable, clean natural gas. Marlin Gas is the company that gas utilities, pipeline companies, and industrial facilities turn to. See MarlinGas.com for more information. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by BMVW Auto Sales. COVID-19 has changed everything, even buying a car. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, not only sanitizes every car, but you can buy it online and they'll trailer it to your home anywhere in Georgia and surrounding states. They've used electric cars, plug-in hybrids, and traditional hybrids. Check out the inventory at ev-hybrid.com. That's ev-hybrid.com. They have a three-day loaner period as well if you want to make sure electric works for you. Check them out at ev-hybrid.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We're back on Energy Matters. One more segment with Benji Backer. Uh, Benji is uh, not too long graduated from college, University of Washington, Seattle. And we're going to hear in the segment about a very cool EV road trip that he that he took Casey. Casey, you've got two EVs. What's the longest road trip you've ever been on a total mileage one way? That's a good question. Um, it was up to just outside of Nashville to uh, Tullahoma, um, which probably was, I don't know, 160 miles, something like that. Um, and it ended up, uh, this was just as the infrastructure was being built out. So we had enough DC fast charge infrastructure for almost all of the trip. Um, but what would normally take about three and a half hours ended up taking about seven hours. Um, it would be much better than that now with a longer range EV and the better infrastructure. But it was certainly an experience. Yeah. And that's what I tell my conservative friends who say that, you know, the tax credit was a, essentially a free car. I said, look, you don't know how inconvenient it was to drive a car with a range of 100 and try to live your life in a normal way. Uh, and and it required it required a tax credit to get people to take that kind of a risk. And uh, and certainly, you know, we've moved beyond the 100 mile range now, uh, you know, and, and we've made great progress on that. But Benji, we want to hear about this road trip uh, and just to reintroduce you to the audience, you're the founder of uh, the American Conservation Coalition. Where where can folks find the American Conservation Coalition on the Internet? Yes, yeah, so you can find uh, ACC at www.acc.eco. And then we also have our road trip uh, all on our website as well. Great. Well, tell us about this road trip. So... Most people, when they graduate college, go on a road trip to national parks or something something fun like that. But we decided as an organization to do a 55-day road trip of the entire United States to seek climate change solutions in the heart of 34 different states. And we did it all in a Tesla X, and then we did part of it in a Tesla X and a Chevy Bolt. And it was an incredible journey. It was one of the hardest uh times of my life i will say that it was it was a complete grind but we had an amazing time seeing and being inspired by the different climate change solutions and technological solutions that were happening in republican states democratic states big cities rural areas 
And then we were also inspired by the future of the EV industry, and I can't wait to dive more into that. But the solutions that we saw in these communities were innovative. It was the future of environmentalism, and it was focused on solutions that work, solutions that are applicable to local communities, and they were locally led, and then they could be scaled to the national level, and that's what it's going to be all about. So I, I definitely want to come back to the solutions. I want to give you a chance to talk about what you saw on this trip, but tell us first what just the mechanics of the trip. How was it driving an EV across the country for 55 days? Did you run into any issues? Was it you know more enjoyable than if you had had a you know a gas car? What, what was your experience? Yeah, I mean, in all transparency, I think it would have been easier to do it in a gas car. And I think what we're finding is that we're so close. We're on the precipice of the equalizing of a gas car's accessibility with an electric vehicle. And of course, the electric vehicle will surpass that at some point. What we what we took around was a Tesla X that was a only 180 mile range car. Uh, we were only we were able to get a 2018. We had to charge every 180 miles and we were going to 34 different states in 55 days. So it took a long time and we were able to find chargers when we needed them. Uh, we weren't ever towed because we couldn't find a charger. Like we were able to do it, which is actually incredible. We were able to take an older Model X and take it all the way across the country in a big loop. We went from the Pacific Northwest in Seattle where we started all the way to the Northeast, back to the Southeast, went through Georgia, and then came back to the Southwest and finished up in Arizona. So we did a huge circle and we were able to do it with that 180 mile range car. Of course, the ranges have gotten better. The charging times are going to get better. And what I keep telling conservative friends or people who are skeptical of EVs is that think about all the progress that the electric vehicle industry has made over the past five, 10 years and beyond and how even between 2018 and 2020, when we took the trip, how much of a range uh, difference the new cars have, almost double. And so the opportunities are endless if we invest in the technology and just like anything, like cell phones or anything throughout history, the technology has to start somewhere and then just get scaled. And man, is the EV industry scaling. We saw that firsthand. And I think what's inspiring about it is that we were able to take a difficult journey, a lot of stops, a lot longer than we needed, but we were able to take a difficult journey for 55 days in an electric car that only went 180 miles. So let me ask you, what was your scariest moment of the trip? The scariest moment was we were going, we were in Cleveland, Ohio, and we could not find a charger for the Bolt because uh, we had a Bolt for part of the trip and it was impossible. And so we ran out of juice and we had, we, we did have to get towed, but that was because we didn't plan very well. Um, but the Bolt was just, for some reason, Cleveland in downtown where we were staying just did not have electric vehicle chargers and everywhere else was not a problem. And so we, it was, it was a late night. It was a, it was a rough one. All right. So if we have any listeners from Cleveland, hit us up. We'll help you get some infrastructure downtown. <laughs> but, you know, for folks who are interested in EVs, I mean, the, your, your trip really is a testament to say that it's not a, a big deal to adopt one, particularly if it's, you know, one of your two cars, but, you know, even as an only car uh, or as an EV only household, it's totally doable. Exactly right. So, Benji, I know I took a Tesla Model Y on a road trip. I drive a Chevy Volt with a V, uh, but Cobb EMC wanted me to take out their new Tesla Model Y, and I took it down uh, to Punta Vedra, Florida. Uh, but I, I had never gone on a road trip with a Tesla before, and I was just totally impressed with the charger infrastructure that Tesla has built on their own. What was your what feeling did you come away with? Um, on Elon Musk uh, charger network. It was the most brilliant organization and strategy that I have seen in recent history. I mean, it was absolutely mind boggling and I had the same experience you did. It was, it, the car figured out where it needed to go. It told you exactly where it needed to go, how much mileage you'd have left, how much juice you'd have left, um, how it would work if you went round trip. And it would tell you exactly how to get to the fast chargers. And then it only took 40, 45 minutes to charge from there. And they're always located in a place that's a little bit strange. Like it'll be in the back of like a restaurant or something, but it's in the back of a restaurant. So you can go and eat something or you can, um, you know, go shopping for, for some groceries. So it was 
incredible how spaced out they were. And even for an older Model X, they were like, you can go from point A to point B and point B to point C, and here's how you're gonna do it, here's what time you're gonna arrive. And it just had it on the big screen and it figured it out for you. And that was the beauty of it compared to the Chevy Bolt, which was a great car. And I, and I actually couldn't recommend it enough for people uh, as well. But if the future of, of EV infrastructure is what Tesla and Elon Musk have built, I mean, it's going to surpass the oil and gas uh, powered cars in the next few years. Um, it's not going to take very long because it was absolutely incredible and it was actually more easy than trying to figure out which gas station to pull over at. So Benji, we've got about three minutes left in the segment. I, I do want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about some of what you saw on this trip, you know, some of these innovative, innovative climate solutions. And maybe you could just share, you know, kind of what was most surprising to you or, or most impactful as you traveled the country? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it was a lot of, for a lot of these communities, it was the first time they'd ever seen Teslas. Uh, we went to a lot of very rural communities that were surprised to see a Tesla. And I think that that was, really cool to see. But in terms of the climate solutions, we went to, I think the Midwest was the most impactful for me. That's where I grew up, but we also went to just rural places in the Midwest. To see the renaissance of climate solutions on farms in the Midwest, uh, I think was was the most impactful because it allowed me to see that they can be a part of the solution, that you can engage agricultural folks. And we, we went to a, a farm that was working on using an app to figure out where the fertilizer and all this all the um you know all the basically all the planting would happen and it figured it out in a sustainable way where you would be maximizing the use of the land but also minimizing the pollution and then you also that was in minnesota south, southeastern minnesota and then in wisconsin we went to a anaerobic digester that was literally turning cow manure from a local farm that was struggling economically uh and using it to create renewable natural gas that they received additional income for, and it was sent to homes across the country that reduced the emissions from the methane, which we all know is a problem. Those are the types of solutions that need to be scaled because they are literally backyard solutions for the people that fuel our families and fuel our economies. And so we saw a lot of amazing things and you can go and see what we do if you search the electric election road trip on Google or any podcast. Uh, we have, did a bunch of podcasts, but the Midwest and kind of their willingness to be a part of the solution when they're kind of seen as maybe the anti-climate states was really, really cool. You know, this has been just incredible. How old are you, Benji? I'm 23, just recently 23. Man, I am so impressed. We got to get an ACC office in Georgia. I can't wait. I will and take I, you up on that. And I need to join, okay? Go ahead and count on me. I, I don't know what the memberships are, but I, I want to join. Casey, yeah, you, you, you need to join as well. Where can folks find you on the internet, Benji? Well, we'd love to have you. We have a membership program at acc.eco slash membership. So our website's acc.eco, and you can uh, slash membership to go straight to the membership page. Uh, we're on social media at acc underscore national, and then I'm on social media at Benji Backer. And I'm at Tim Eccles on Twitter. He's at Casey Boyce on Twitter. Our show's at Matters Radio. Thanks, everybody, for joining us with Benji Backer. Stick around for one more segment today. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Logan Booker, producer of Energy Matters, here for Better Tomorrow Solar. Imagine a world powered by sunlight. Imagine your home powered by sunlight. 
Better Tomorrow Solar has a passion for helping you see this for yourself. They've worked hard to overcome the chief obstacle to solar adoption, its initial cost. In some cases, they can install your solar panels at no cost, then charge a predetermined, stable rate for the energy used. In other cases, Better Tomorrow Solar has creative ways to finance the installation so the monthly payments are lower than the energy savings. Find out more at BetterTomorrowSolar.com. That's BetterTomorrowSolar.com and see how you make your world better. We interrupt this episode of Energy Matters to take you outdoors. On the road again. Welcome to Energy Matters on the Road. I'm your host, Tim Eccles, and in this segment, a special treat to have Reverend Mitch Hescock, and he is on the phone with me from Pennsylvania. Welcome, Reverend. Thank you, sir. It's glad. Please call me Mitch. I'm not very formal. And Mitch, tell us where you went to school and where you went to seminary. Well, I went to seminary, actually, it's part of a longer story, but I was running away from God from Pennsylvania, where I grew up, and went out to the University of Arizona. Uh, and there I found God again, and then I moved back to Pennsylvania. And then after a career in the coal industry for 14 years, I went to seminary in Washington, D.C. at Wesley Seminary and uh, served a local church for 20 years. You are very active in the energy and the climate movement. You've got a book you've co-authored called Caring for Creation, the Evangelical's Guide to Climate Change in a Healthy Environment. And you and I have talked before. I find myself as an evangelical and tell me if this is the case with you, but I'll wind up in meetings with environmentalists, uh, you know, where here I'm talking about God and God creating the world, and folks don't really have that worldview, and things can go south pretty quick, and people can get hostile. Have you discovered or experienced that? Absolutely. You know, especially when I talk that I'm being pro-life in a crowd that's much more progressive than I am, and, you know, there have been times where I've actually been booed or hissed at for saying that I've been pro-life, but I am pro-life. I believe that uh, we have a responsibility to protect life from conception until natural death. In fact, that's what our ministry is all about. Our slogan is creation care is a matter of life, and why we do environmental work and energy work is, number one, because God told us to. It's God's creation. And number two, Jesus said to protect the least of these, and they are the ones most impacted by the way we use energy and the way the pollution hurts them. You know, Mitch, is I, and I regulate energy here in Georgia with my colleagues on the Public Service Commission, I'm a Republican. You know, there's a lot of rhetoric out there about about climate change, and you're involved with creation care. How does how does creation care differ from the run-of-the-mill climate change rhetoric that I'm hearing on CNN or uh, or any other station? Well, I think, first off, it, it begins with faith. I mean, I believe very strongly that in the beginning, God created. Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord. Even Leviticus says, the earth is God's, and we are but tenants. We don't earn the earth. And so I grew up, if something belongs to somebody else, you're supposed to take care of it. So to me, it's a matter of following Jesus. It's an act of Christian faith, caring for what God owns. And that's what I think makes our ministry different, is that, you know, I believe in God with all my heart. In fact, I tell people that I'm not an environmentalist, that I am simply a disciple of Jesus Christ, trying to care for what he owns. Because remember, Colossians chapter 1 says that the whole earth was formed through, by, and for Jesus Christ. Not for us, but for Jesus. You know, Mitch, I, I hear folks talking about we're, we're going to destroy the planet, the earth is going to, uh, you know, as a result of, you know, industry or CO2 that, you know, that the, that the planet, you know, the planet's future is at risk. As an evangelical, where do you stand on, you know, on how this earth will end? Is it something that you believe that, you know, will happen only when God uh, gives the green light for that to happen? Or do you do you believe that we actually have, you know, uh, are at risk of destroying the planet ourselves? I think I'd answer that two ways. First, even with high CO2 levels, the planet is going to take care of itself eventually. The high CO2 and climate change, what I worry about are God's children, us, because we're the ones that are going to suffer, not the planet. But to answer your final question, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, Revelation 21 says that the whole earth will be renewed, will be recreated. And that's what my theology is, that God will come, heaven comes to earth, and it will be renewed. And quite honestly, to me, the way I like to think about it, if it's a massive do-over, 
where God comes and lives on this earth and actually recreates the Garden of Eden and walks with his people. That's what Revelation says. Hey, this is Tim Eccles with Energy Matters, and we're on the road with Katie Sloan. She's the director of e-mobility at Southern California Edison. Welcome to Georgia. Thank you. And you were here for an IEEE conference. You've been talking about lessons learned from all the e-mobility going on from California. I'd love for you to just to share with our audience about the lessons that you guys have learned out there. You've got some ambitious goals to have really millions of electric vehicles by 2030. Uh, and California, I think, is ahead of Germany. It's really the leading place for electric vehicles in the world. So tell us about some of the lessons uh, that you've learned. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we're looking to get 7 million electric vehicles on the road by 2030, which is up from about 600,000 today, so it's quite an increase. And some of the things that we've learned were around what is the role of the electric utility. Uh, we really focus on three areas uh, for our customers, availability of charging stations, affordability through rates, and also through helping to pay for infrastructure, and also awareness, making sure that our customers understand how they use electric vehicles and how electric electricity can be a fuel different than gasoline today. Uh, we have a pilot that we've already installed 1,200 chargers across our service area, which is 50,000 square miles, um, serving 15 million people in the greater Los Angeles area. And we found that our customers are really excited for us to help them install EV chargers. Uh, we have quite a few workplace deployments. Uh, we have deployments at destination centers. And we also have deployments at apartment complexes and condominiums. A lot of our lessons learned actually came from that apartment um, and condominium area. Uh, we found that there was some difficulty in installing charging stations. Um, the owners of some of those buildings, uh, when they're deploying capital, they'd prefer to deploy something that all of their residents can use. And so they weren't um, as interested in deploying EV chargers. Um, and that was more at a, a level of corporate. We found that if we actually went and talked to to the people that were on site, the on site managers of the apartments, they were much bigger advocates for deploying EV chargers because they were seeing people not entering into leases because there wasn't EV charging available, or they would see their residents just taking up a, a plug and plugging in and having cords all over their, their parking garages. Um, so they saw it as a safety issue as well. Um, so we found that just by changing our marketing and talking to those people that were on site, we have now. Um, um, 30 applications um, from apartment complexes where for the first two years we only had three um, projects. You know, Atlanta has, uh, uh, they have an ordinance where if you're building a parking garage, now it has to be EV ready with a certain percentage of parking places. So I feel like the city of Atlanta is kind of prepared for that moving forward. And I think this image of EVs being clumsy or cumbersome, that when you see all the cords and, oh, man, I couldn't do that, you want to you kind of shed that image. And I think by having these chargers at these multifamily locations that it does kind of present a better, a better image. What about the idea of electric school buses. We've talked a little bit about Bluebird, which is a Georgia company. They're out there in California, and they're kind of touring around with doing some vehicle-to-grid charging. It's something we've talked about on Energy Matters before, uh, but you guys are way, way ahead of us on this project. Tell me a little bit about this project and how you maybe see it developing over the next five years. Great. Yeah, we are working on a project at the Rialto School District, um, and there are quite a few people involved, including Bluebird, also a company called Nuvi, um, Southern California Edison is the fuel provider, and it's looking to be a vehicle-to-grid demonstration project. So we're helping um, all of the people involved make sure that we have a safe deployment of vehicle-to-grid. Uh, we're making sure that everything is tested by a certified laboratory, um, and we're 
we're also making sure that we have the right rules in place um, through interconnection because this is a, a new use case where you can possibly be deploying energy onto the grid um, at different different locations. So we're really excited to help move this forward. We expect that the buses will be coming next year. Um, so we're doing all we can to be ready for the buses getting there. So my final question today has to do with something our commission approved, which is the reuse of electric car batteries. So uh, these batteries have been replaced by a warranty. They're uh, sitting in a warehouse somewhere, and we want to be able to utilize these lithium-ion batteries because you can't really recycle them economically at this point. And I know I got this idea because I put it into our integrated resource plan as an amendment. I got it from EVGO, uh, which is a California charging company. You've seen this in, directly in San Diego. Tell us a a little bit about the project there because I think it might give us hope as we plan for this in Georgia. So at the uh, University of California, San Diego, there's a deployment of Second Life batteries, uh, their BMW Second Life batteries. It's been there for a few years and I went down to visit it and what I've heard is that um, they're getting a lot more usage from the Second Life batteries than they had initially expected. Um, so they've been very happy with that deployment and they've been testing it out um, and they're still getting getting usage a few years later. Um, so we're looking to also be doing a Second Life battery pilot um, probably next year uh, where we could use it to charge, I think maybe similar to, to what you're looking at, charging electric vehicles, or use the um, Second Life batteries as a mobile energy storage solution. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much for coming to Georgia and for all the great things you guys are doing out there. We're learning a lot from you guys. I'm Tim Eccles. You've been listening to Energy Matters on the Road. The electric car revolution is coming, and the choices are growing. Gem cars are everywhere. You've seen these low-speed electric vehicles on college campuses, downtown Atlanta streets, and resort islands like St. Simons and Jekyll. Gem cars are street legal, equipped with seatbelts, headlights, and a tag, and can operate on roads with speed limits of 35 miles per hour or less. If you want to know more about these electric cars and trucks, six-passenger shuttles, mobile repair service, or full vehicle wraps, go to GemCarService.com. That's G-E-M, CarService.com. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com. Solarsunworld.com.